Hey, oh, what's up, gang? Uh, it's Mishka. I'm back. Um, man, we got a good one this week. The I know I always say like, oh, this is the best one. This is my favorite. Um, and it's true because they all are. Um, and because I feel like the podcast is getting better. The um, like I'm sort of figuring out now what it's about and what my, my sort of my core concerns are. And I also feel like I'm getting better at like scraping away the layers to get at, uh, to just get at the center, uh, to get at that bloody pulp. Um, and today's guest is Adam Caton Holland. I, um, I sort of heard of him just from, from doing comedy, from being comedy adjacent, from sort of being the scene. And, uh, people mentioned to me that he was a writer And he has written a beautiful and devastating book. Um, It is called, got to get the title right here because I always, uh, I always fuck shit up. The, um, the title of the book is Tragedy Plus Time. Um, And it's about, I mean, it's about losing his, losing his baby sister and finding her body. Um, after she killed herself, there's no nice, cute, funny way to say that. Um, it's, uh, yeah, it's like rip your fucking heart out, uh, devastating. Um, but also, I mean, I love grief and trauma and sadness and cruelty. Um, but his book is one that I would sort of recommend to people who have been through shit, uh, not just, you know, not as, uh, just sort of bearing witness to it or, um, some kind of emotional torture porn, but that it's it's very useful. Uh, you know, you watch a man who's sort of entirely unequipped to deal with grief at this level, uh, slowly, painstakingly try to uh, trying to find a way to move forward. And and there's no like um, with grief, there's no there's no magic moment or there's no aha. You know, you just you slowly integrate that that loss and those scars into your life and find a way to fucking put your socks on the next morning and sort of, um, get up and go to work. Um, I want to talk a little bit too about how I met Adam that we met at, uh, altercation in Austin. I don't think this past year, but the year before. And, uh, he introduced himself to me and we, we sort of chatted for a second. I feel like he, Heard my name from Sam Talent, um, or maybe other folks in the Colorado scene. But we, um, we, one of the things I always say to people is like the um, the the creepiest thing uh, a man in his forties can say to another man is, uh, "Would you like to be my friend?" Um, but uh, so there, there's you know Adam and I have had this, this sort of like long weird uh circling of each other where i um i totally admire his art i you know i think he's an incredible comic and his shit comes up on my instagram all the time and i i laugh at it and i curse him for being funnier than i am the um get out of there what is wrong with you all right um and um and as a writer he's uh you know, he's a, he's a, a dual threat to my, ins, my male insecurity, right? He's a funnier comic than I am. And he's fucking written this book. Um, but I listened to it when I was, um, when I was driving out to Ohio and man, it's, uh, really brutal and really good. Um, but one of the things that I really like about this podcast is that 
or let me back up. When I when I spoke to Adam was before I'd uh, I'd listened to his book, and the he's a very he's a very funny, very intelligent guy. But I felt that there was something like a little pinched about him, and I couldn't figure out what it was. And then I listened to the book, and I was like, "Oh, it's grief. It's just that shit that you carry with you everywhere, and also it's OCD." Um, he doesn't, it's not like the, um, he's going to line his pens up in a certain way or something, or the, um, the hall light needs to be off in order for him to sleep. You know, it's, it, it's mental illness. It's something that he, you know, he sort of deals with on a day-to-day level. And the, um, and I feel comfortable drawing attention to that because, um, it's a big part of the, a big part of the book and a big part of who he is as a person and, the and it's something that interests me the um because i talking to him hanging out with him it's not something that i would be like walk away from it and be like oh that guy has ocd um but that's what we do right we we find ways of hiding the shit we're dealing with of concealing it from other people of you know finding ways of just sort of like coping and moving on um and uh so it was it was incredible to sort of to be able to listen to his book and then just sort of like pull the curtain back completely on his life, what he's been through, what has made him into who he is now. And then also like the this podcast is sort of the full the first full conversation uh, that we've had together, uh, you know, other than sort of that quick chat uh, backstage in Austin and uh I think you can hear us becoming friends. It's uh, it's cool because it's uh, it's hard. Uh, the older you get, particularly as a man, men are terrible at uh, hot male on male intimacy. Um, and uh, comics and performers and artists are notoriously uh, prickly people. But uh, I don't know. I feel really proud of this podcast that. We talk about a lot of really heavy shit, and I think that there's stuff here that's um, that would be really useful for people who are still going through shit. Um, so yeah, thanks for uh, thanks for tuning in and uh, enjoy this conversation with Adam Caton Holland. Mr. Shabali is catching up with friends who are. Arguably more talented than him. The um, so I I don't have a uh a roadmap for this. Okay. I, um, but I want to I want to start with uh what will probably be the most unpleasant part of the conversation, uh, which is where I just uh throw a bunch of compliments at you, and <laughs> and you have to sit there and take it. And Fair enough. Uh, I just want to tell you, I think, you know, what I've, what I've told you a little bit in chat, uh, which is thank you for your book. Um, it's really brave and painful and we, um, I say reading, uh, you know, I listened to it and that feels like such a cop out because I wish I had a physical copy here to refer to, but the, Oh, I'd give you one. If I next next batch I get, I'll send you one, man. I don't, I don't have oh, awesome. any currently. Yeah, I'd love to give you one. The um, but reading it, we have you know, you get a sense that uh, 
this is a, a man doing the the thing of eating the elephant one bite at a time you know that it, it, it it's really um grief is massive and unending and and also this uh, uh closure is like uh white myth it's yeah. the grief is like tinnitus um and and for, to me that was my favorite thing about your book is that it was um it was just sort of a holistic thing of uh, this is a scar that's now part of my body and, uh, wishing it away, isn't going to work. And the, uh, vitamin E cream isn't going to work. And it's just, it's part of who I am now. And it, yeah, I have to move forward with it, you know? Thanks, man. I mean, yeah, they were like, I didn't, I didn't sit down and write the book. Cause it's like, I'm ready. I've got my thoughts gathered. <laughs> Let's get them out. It was very much, uh, you know, finding them as I wrote which as I'm sure you can relate to when you suddenly sobbing and writing, you're like, I think this means it's good. And um, so I really, I, I found it while I did it, but I, I also just had two goals and one was like to not be self-help cheese. And the other goal was to like bring my little sister to life to, to write a book that she would like. And I, if I was like, if she's laughing, if she, if it's, if it's true to her and I can kind of capture her even five percent then i'm then i'm doing a good job and i i think i did that I, I tried to bring her to life did you recognize when you were setting out to do this that it that's like the most that was the most sadistic thing for you to do to yourself to take a man who's grieving and then to set those two goals which it's so fucking hard to bring another person to life particularly someone you love and someone you know very well where there's that um just massive envelope of pressure around them, especially when it's somebody you've lost that you, you know, it, it's, it is sort of like this black magic thing of that. You're trying to bring them back to life. And then also tap dancing through the minefield of self-help. And I'm going to talk about my feelings in a way that doesn't make me fucking roll my eyes. Yeah. You know, also like, as I wrote it and I write in the book, like, you know, you know, you're, I, I found my little sister, my little sister committed suicide. I found my little sister and it fucked me up real good. And I went to a lot of intense therapy. It, it literally, it did brain damage to me. It was like PTSD brain damage. And this, this moment was an obtrusive thought and it was nightmarish. And so it kind of was like, um, it was fucking with my memories a lot of her. And mm -hmm. so like I, all the memories felt, it felt like back to the future and the photograph is disappearing all the time. And so I, I just wanted to like, get down what I had. Cause at the time it kind of felt like they're going, you're, you're losing them. It, it just felt like they were going to be gone forever. So it was also for me, a, almost like a necessary recording of what I could recall. Cause at the time I thought, I don't know what's going on in my head, but it seems like everything, every memory of hers is going away. And so I kind of was frantically trying to record them as I had them. And now I I've worked through it a lot and, and, I have, you know, they're not as, they're not fleeing as hard, but it was definitely at the time felt like you better write this shit down. Cause who knows how long you're going to have it. The, there's a great story about uh, Keith Richards uh, staying up for, you know, four or five days, which I guess that was just no way. He, there's a great story about Keith Richards. <laughs> Get out of here. <laughs> the and dr drugs are involved and the, but he stayed up for four or five days and then um, he like woke up from a dream, played a, a riff, and then said, I can't get no satisfaction. 
and then fell back asleep. And the rest of the cassette is just him snoring. <laughs> and the, and I love that because, um, I know exactly what you're talking about. The um, quick, I got to get this. You know, it, it feels like that movie Memento of like, um, oh, I had a dream, and I have if you know, and it's retreating quickly. You can see like the the tendrils, re- you know, retreating back into the baseboards, and I've got to get this down as quickly as I can because I can see it fading right now. And if you if you start writing when you're in bed, you know, you can get a little bit of it, but if you wait until after lunch, then it's almost completely gone. And the, when you're already dealing with, you know, with losing, with losing a loved one, with losing a a sibling with something, you know, as horrific as that, the it's, there's that much more pressure. And um, so, I mean, I think you took uh, uh, what's an already incredibly hard job and then made it that much harder. So. Well, thanks, man. But as you know, when you're doing this type of stuff, it just kind of feels like I've got to do this because I don't know what else to do. You don't set out with any real intent other than like, this is got this is exploding in my head and I have to get it out of my head. And so you just put it down on paper, which I think it makes good art in any sort of form, but it's kind of, it, it just felt urgent and necessary with no goal or ambition in mind. It was for my it was self-preservation. Yeah, it's um, it's sort of like physical therapy, too, because I think when you're writing, it's, you know, when you go to physical therapy, they're like, okay, uh, move your body until you feel maximum pain. Okay, now stay there for 90 seconds. <laughs> it's like the and, and I think that is how you have to work as a as a nonfiction writer, as a memoir writer is like, find the, find the most painful moment and then stay there for as long as you can. And that's how you know that it's good, but it's, um, it's, it's physically exhausting. It's mental, it's exhausting. And, you know, on every level. Um, I mean, do you, I mean, I just read your book, uh, the long run and other short stories, and there's a lot of painful stuff in there (laughs) that you, you know, obsess on, but don't you feel, I guess it's cliche, but you know, there is a purge. It does kind of feel like for me, it's like, okay, it's out. It it is like getting the demon out and now it's there and parts of it will stay with me, but I've recorded it cleanly in a way that I'm proud of. And in some way it's dealt with. Yeah, the, there is, and, and, and that, um, that like crippling pressure is also, I found it super necessary. Um, the, the story about my stalker, uh, are you lonesome tonight? Mm-hmm. The, when that happened, um, I was, I, I was like, I would see my friends and I'd be like, Oh my God, I have the craziest thing just happened to me. I have to tell you the story. And they would be like, all right, tell me. And then it would be like, no, I can't. And I did, I somehow did a, a really smart thing of just, keeping that pressure like in my head. And then over the course of three or four days, I would just um, leave my house, my laptop, walk to the park, right until the battery died on my laptop and then go home. And the, and that's how I was able to get that story down the way that I did and preserve all those details. And the, and I think that was the, um, the the best most useful cleanest way to sort of scrape it out of my head and try and get as much of the remnants out of there yeah um, and you know it's sometimes with uh you know with bits or jokes or stories or um things we want to talk them out with other people and you know bounce them off them and 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 other times i feel like you have to just 
sit on it, just keep that stuff inside so that when it comes out, it, uh, it comes out of full force. I couldn't agree more. I mean, this is a way, way less significant example, but I play indoor soccer and, and the, the team is fun and we had like a Christmas party, but I got a corporate gig that night and I got to open for, uh, I got to perform in front of John Elway, the, the Broncos quarterback, Denver legend. He owns all these car dealerships. It was the Christmas banquet for all the car dealerships. I got paid great. I performed and I ate it so fucking hard. I haven't bombed like that <laughs> in a long time. And as I was doing it, I was like, this is going to be a killer bit. I was like, at the very least, you will be able to tell the story. And so I, I bombed. I've never done this before in my life. I got off stage and I walked directly out of the room. I didn't say, I didn't say thank you to the woman who had been shepherding me around. I just left, got in a car and went to that party and drank my face off. And my whole soccer team was like, tell us the story, tell us the story. And I was kind of like, it's not ready. It's not ready. Like I need to, I ate shit. Here's a photo, but I need to, and now I tell it as a 12 minute story in my act, but it, it needs time. You need to marinate. Yeah. Yeah. It, it really is. It's like, um, there, it, there needs to be like pressure for it, for it to, it to form, like for the, the cake to bake the, and also, man, I know the, to have, you know, to eat shit on stage. It's, it's re it, it is like eating shit. It's like people have <laughs> watched you consume feces and then you just, you have this shame on you where you're like, I need to go home. I need to take off all my clothes. I need to wash my entire body. I need to fucking scrub my mouth out, floss, cut my fingernails and toenails. Yeah. I will never be able to get this off me. I should do a um, vow of silence. I need to be at a monastery for a month yeah, to like yeah. think about this. And it's man, it's such a relief to hear that you had such a terrible set because you're such a good comic. And I I watch your clips on Instagram uh all the time. And the and I I you and I are getting to be friends. I feel like uh, you know, we've been sort of in touch the last couple of months talking about books and writing and stuff. And the um, so it's it's like the uh, warm feelings blossoming towards you. And then when I watch your clips on Instagram and you crush, I'm like, fuck this guy. <laughs> well, I feel like this podcast is the conversation we've been wanting to have for like two years. We're just like yeah. flirting with each other. And now I'm like, oh, yeah, let's just be friends. Yeah. Uh, but uh, good. That's the best compliment. If you're like mad at me for my comedy, then I'm thrilled. <laughs> Comedy is such, uh, man, it's, uh, it's the purest thing and I love it so much. And it's so fucking poisonous. It's, um, the, I remember watching, uh, Christine Levine on stage once and she was just crushing and I, and, you know, I mean, talk about intrusive thoughts. Sometimes these thoughts just come into your head and you're like, fucking, where did that come from? And I was watching her and I was like the, Maybe if I was morbidly obese and really sick, then people would think I was funny. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like the pettiest, like the worst. Just it's, uh, it gets better. Like I still see people, you know, and we're all just poisoned by these little devices in our hands. But like we, I see people, and I'll get jealous. Why does this person get that? Why does this person not get that? But it has gotten way better, and like a few career successes. And then realizing you're not even happy then helps a lot when you realize like, oh, everyone's fucking miserable. And so like and that is the comic curse that does help because you're like, good for that person. Now I'm able to be like they're having their moment and and they will have peaks and valleys and I will have peaks and valleys and everyone will 
be jealous of me in four months when I post the thing that they all want. And then I'll go back into my valley of despair. And it means nothing if you're not kind of enjoying it and making friends and trying to be as light as you can throughout this silly life that we've somehow been able to leave to live. It's yeah, it's, it's so wild. It's, and it's so easy to lose perspective incredibly quickly. The, um, I, I had a birthday recently. I'm 46 years old. That is a dog shit age. It's just sort of (laughs) like, uh, Oh, the, I didn't realize you were still here. Like the 46 is the age where, Oh, I thought you'd already left the party. The, like the, shouldn't you go home? (laughs) It's just the, yeah. Oh, still you. Um, and I feel good. My brain feels good. I feel, um, I feel like I'm emerging from a years long darkness and, um, my body feels like uh, a septic system that has burst burst into flames the just you know everything's breaking all at once but i had um i did a show here with a couple of friends um guys i've known for almost 20 years and and they were like oh is it cool you know cool if we rose to a little bit and i was like the no uh, right. I, every, I hate roast. I, I hate fucking roast. Every every show that I do here ends up being a fucking roast of me. And the <laughs> no, it's my fucking birthday. Just just lightly. OK. And of course, it was like a fucking PowerPoint presentation, just excoriating me for every flaw. But yeah. one of the but the cool outcome from that was there were a couple of people here um, who were here to see my friends and weren't here for my birthday party. And the and they watched like the whole roast and laughed along. And then I was talking to somebody afterwards and they were like, wait, all that shit is true. Like the you you were an ultra runner and you did get shipwrecked and you, you know, you did write these books and the playing these bands and tour yeah. all over. And yeah. And, and that more than anything else not seeing my old friends, not having this wonderful night, your birthday, people are celebrating the day you were born. You know, it should be such a pure thing, but what was, but the thing that made it finally get past my defenses so that I could actually feel a good thing was when somebody was like, Oh, I thought that was all made up. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good way to look at your life. Just like, Oh man, I, you, it sounds false to other people. And I'm also yeah. glad that the love, Albeit, you know, uh, passive aggressive from your friends meant nothing but the chance for new fans. And you're like, happy birthday to me. It's such bullshit. <laughs> it's so it's so terrible. It's yeah. The, um, yeah. I mean, it, it was like, yeah. Yeah. Friends, you know, friends with these relationships that have endured peaks and valleys and, you know, addiction and and these long fights and silences and oh somebody liked my picture on instagram hold on a second you know? <laughs> everything just freezes you're like happy for once i don't know but it's such grass is greener like i saw you on social media doing that party and i'm just like this guy just plays by his own rules here's his bands having a you know his friends are in bands doing a party yeah i want to be at that party it just seems very fun and organic and like bohemian and cool dude it the parties are fun as shit that that is i i've gotten so good at undermining every single thing that i've done in my life and the and that's and the parties here that's one thing that i feel comfortable and confident that i got it right you know the the stage is a coffee table i found in the alley the 
Uh, the PA is uh, 60s Sure PA that I got for $60. That it, There's no reason it should still work, but it works and it sounds great. And the we had Randy Posey and Anna Valenzuela and John Michael Bond out here. And oh, they're all great. The, yeah, and it was like the and – I, and I knew Brandy a little bit, and I'd cross paths with Anna, but I didn't realize it was like three headliners that they'd been out for three weeks on fire, you know? See, yeah, just sharp. Yes. And, the, and it was a cold night, and my mom was there, and, um, you know, we're all hanging out and just dying. And then I looked up, and, you know, I noticed that she was gone, and she texted me, and she was like, oh, you know, it was too cold. I had to go home. Um, and the next day we were cleaning up and I was like, mom, you missed, my God, you missed like such a good show. We need to get you like one of those, you know, uh, the goose down, you know, full length. And she said, Mishka, I, I didn't go home cause I was cold. I peed my pants. <laughs> and, wow. And, and I knew that I couldn't tell you because you would get up there and tell everybody that I peed my pants. And I was like, what, mom, you're right. I absolutely would have. And I'm, I'm outing her now, but the, but man, what a sweet compliment. Like the, um, I got my, you know, I got my mom to piss her pants with one of those shows. It was just like the, so fucking meaningful. It's also very cool that your mom is there. And like, I say this coming from the, the lucky vantage point of my dad comes to a lot of the stuff. I do. And all my friends are like, I wish your dad was my dad. And I'm just like, Oh, he's, he's so supportive. It's almost annoying. Like I can't, you know, I'll have a great set and my dad will be like, there's Carlin, but I feel like Adam's kind of above him. Like, you know, he's just so, <laughs> so supportive that it's like hyperbolic and it's lost all credence. Uh, if he tells me it's great. I'm like, yeah, but you, every, you think everything I do is great, but we're very lucky to have parents that attend, get it, think it's cool. So many of our peers have these fuck you relationships with their, they are doing comedy because they hate their parents. Yeah. And like we, it's very cool that your mom's there, whether she can hold it, her urine in or not. <laughs> so, and I think I, I have to remember that as well. It's so cool that my dad is like, knows obscure indie comics and has learned about it. And is just like, loves this shit. So that's, we're lucky. That's rare. The, I can't believe you like have a dad. <laughs> he's the man. You would love my, you and my dad would, you'd love him. He's, he's a big old hippie civil rights attorney who just like came from a rich family and was like, fuck you. I want to go help people. And he's carved this really cool career of like disabled rights and gotten people out of Guantanamo Bay. And he's just like a badass attorney from civil rights guy in Denver. It it blows my mind, you know, I mean, that was one of the things that I really noticed reading, um, you know, reading your book was the pride that you took in your family felt so foreign to me. <laughs> <laughs> and the, um, the love that you all had, you know, for one another, just uh, I mean, it was like, like le learning how to speak German or something, or I was like, you know, the, uh, what's wrong with this family that they love each other. You know, the, I, um, you know, my dad's a very intelligent guy, but I, but the, but I mean, he was, uh, he was working, fucking making weapons, dude. 
You know, yeah, that's that's what he used his intellect for. That's what he he used his powers for was, oh, they're going to pay me to fucking blow up the the Ruskies, you know, the and that was acceptable to him. Yeah. And uh, yeah, the whenever I meet um, whenever I meet people who have who people who have fathers and people who have like a code of ethics, I always feel like I need to pull them aside and be like you know, fucking tell me about that. What's that like? You know, you know, it's weird. Like I, my family was never kumbaya. We we're all cynical assholes, but we all liked each other and respected each other. And it's definitely different now that Lydia's gone because like, that was kind of the knock on me as a comic is that I'm too normal and like well-rounded and they're like, where's your edge? You got to be chasing your demons up here. And here comes old Adam Caton Holland, who seems like it's all fucking great. And then, like, my little sister killed herself, and then I like, got a pass. Now everyone's like, okay, you got demons. But, like, at, at it, it, the difference between my family is that we used to be very organically, like, let's all hang out. It's great. And now I can do everyone one-on-one, and I love it. But anytime it's the whole group now, it's just not the same, obviously. And it's not as easy or fluid. I kind of just want the group situations to end and I want to hang out with my mom and do this and hang out with my dad and do that and hang out with Anna, my other sister and do that, but never all together anymore. It's just kind of strange. That makes sense to me that I, um, I think when you guys are all together, it's probably highlighted that someone's missing and the, um, you know, and it can make going to dinner feel like a wake or something like that. And that's gotta be incredibly tough to deal with. The... Yeah, I think I think it's become I think, yeah, we're 10 years out from her death. So I think now it's more subconscious. But I think you're exactly right. I think there's just like an absence that's maybe eating at all of us and making us irritable. And we don't even remember now what the absence is anymore. We're just like irritated. <laughs> yeah, the I I'm obsessed with memory and I, you know, I dwell so much on things that have happened in the past and, um, and a lot of my story has been about, uh, trying to make peace with my memories or things that have happened in the past and the, and then also like doing this podcast and having my mom on and having my aunt on and having people from my past on the, it makes me realize that we get to a point where we're no longer remember remembering the the person or the thing that happened. We're re- remembering the memory that it. We've gone back to it so many times that it's the. We no longer remember the high school dance. We remember the VHS recording of the high school dance, and we haven't seen. Yeah. That sorry to interrupt, but that's exactly what I hate, and that's the hardest part about losing someone. Is like I feel like a a politician with a stump speech. I've got five Lydia stories that I go to. And I, and I, you're right. There, half of them are based off the photograph from the vacation that I'm telling the story of. And that's when you lose someone, you're just like, ah, the, the visceral feeling of the person is gone. They've been reduced to anecdotes that I tell again and again and again. And that fucking sucks. I hate that. Yeah. And then when, and when you get a snippet, when somehow the real feeling of the person breaks through like whether it's like a memory that that's you completely forgot about it and it comes in or for me oftentimes it'll be a dream and there's never anything of significance but like just Lydia's there and then you just gut it you just cut open because now you remember how the person felt 
and that's what's gone away and that that's what's the hardest part yeah i feel like losing people and remembering them over time it's they do become like a slide presentation you know that there's the one slide and then there's the there's when we went to yellowstone and the here's the birthday party when everything fell apart and the these different things and then um you know as the years go by you lose a slide here and there um and and then when you have dreams it's like all the shit in between the slides comes back and the the people you have lost speak to you in their voice mm-hmm. and that's uh so hard <laughs> the it's it's awful that's the stuff that makes me cry even talking about it now just like i just remembered like you know the way like my kid i was doing push-ups and my kid climbed on my back and I, my little sister would do that awesome. and i was just like but it was but it was like this weird feeling of like that's my son but that's my sister and it was just like i remembered the feeling of her jumping on my back and it was i had to like lay flat for a minute and just let my kid lay on my back yeah it was, it was overwhelming yeah it's um it, it was yesterday was the one year anniversary of mark lanigan's death so I spent all day yesterday sort of immersed in that. And uh, today is my nephew's birthday um, and he's named after me. And you don't you don't have to go too deep into that to see the metaphor, you know, of of death and rebirth. And the um, and also, you know, he's sort of like my second chance or something. You know, there's a lot of mistakes that I made that I, I see him not making. And I'm grateful for that. Um, but the there's um there's something that you touched on there that we've sort of like been talking a little bit about in email that i uh i feel like we have to exploit because it's such or pull it apart because it's such an interesting moment that uh you know there was a shooting when i was a kid and uh one of my friends was killed and over 20, 25, 30 years, I sort of got in touch with his father and, um, and his father was incredibly generous. You know, he said the, you know, at the time, um, you know, we were Galen's parents, we thought that we had endured this horrible thing and that we would never heal, but we were adults when it happened and you guys were kids and the, and we've been able to, um, to handle it, to deal with it, to, to move on, to grieve and to move on. And, uh, and it's, but it scarred all of you and the, and I think that he's wrong. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's, I think it's incredibly generous of him and incredibly yeah. gracious. Um, but the, but I keep going back. I think it's like a Shakespearean quote of, you know, that there's, um, there's nothing more unnatural for a parent to lose a child. And the, and my heart goes out to you, buddy, because I think at this point in your life, having your own children, you're, um, I think you're, you're intimately familiar with your own grief, but also now you're seeing, um, you're getting a taste of your parents' grief for their daughter as well. Yeah. You know, the, the love that you feel for your children and like the, it's gotta be, um, that's the thing with grief, man. It has such a long fucking tail. And it, oh, like- dude, yeah. I mean, you, you. I shared some writing with you, and I'm starting to like try to interview my dad for stuff. And like, he'll, you know, he'll just start talking about Lydia, and I, and then I, 
the grief has been so personal. And of course I know it's been, they suffer as well. But then when you sit there and you talk with your dad about him losing his daughter, having kids now, it just fucking dev. And you're like, dad, how do you even put on pants and go to work? Like you're, it's, it gives you a lot of insight into their strength, but also it brings back feelings of anger towards Lydia. Cause it's just like, and I've spent a lot of time getting to like, Hey, mental health, her brain turned on her. Don't get mad at her that she did this thing. I've had to get myself to there. And that's, and that's, I believe it a hundred percent. But when you see your mom, you know, not sleeping right every night since you're kind of like, fuck you, you did this to her, you know, like, and, yeah. and you have to pull back and be like, she didn't do it to her. She got a cruel toss of the dice that fucked her brain up. But it does. It's those it's those moments when you see your parents like earnestly dealing with it, that you're really upset that they have to spend their autumn years in this. It, it breaks your heart again. <laughs> yeah, it's I feel like. Grief is like the Star Wars, Star Wars franchise where you're like, man, I thought it was just three movies. And then it's like, oh, fuck, there's another one. Like, and most the, of these suck. It just keeps going and going. It's like they're, they're fucking putting a new one out next year. But the it grief is uh, it's labyrinthine. You know, it's really um, and it touches all of us. The and the you know, when I was talking about Lanigan yesterday, the there's fandom is so weird. The, um, well, I, that's when I reached out to you most recently. Cause my wife just read his memoir. Cause she's been going to, we went to Seattle this summer and she's just been buying old issues of the rocket on eBay and going into like, okay, I've been a fan of grunge and that music, but I'm, I'm going deep into the scene and she's just learning tons about it. And keep showing me shit. So we got turned on to land again and loved it. And then she read his book and I saw that you edited it. And that's when we first kind of, I had to reach out and be like, bravo, dude, this is such a good read. But um, yeah. So I, I tell me about fandom. I I'm, I'm clearly a fan. The, well, um, the way in which it uh, dehumanizes its subject um, that uh um, you know, I said, I, I posted a couple of things and said, Oh, if people have anything they want me to like talk about or address. I'm just going to sort of turn the mic on and think about my friend and talk about him. Um, and I'll try and sort of answer stuff. And people were asking me sort of hypotheticals about the, if he were still alive, do you think that he would be like back on the road touring his ass off? Do you think he would have, you know, gone into, um, the deeper into uh, writing and poetry and painting and sort of maybe come off the road. And he was a very mercurial guy and he was capable of tremendous kindness and tremendous cruelty as are we all. Um, but the, my response to them was that I have space for all of those Lanigans in my mind. I love to think about him, uh, you know, sort of coming back and like um, getting his health back and being like, fuck it. I'm, older and dirtier and harder than ever. Let's fucking let's hit it, you know, yeah, the, sure. and just going out there and kicking ass or, um, and I said this to him, I felt that he was moving into like his crone power, you know, that, um, a staple of, uh, horror movies or horror stories is an old person and their age has brought them tremendous power. 
and that I felt that he was moving into that. And and I say crone because it was an asexual thing that it, it wasn't something that drew from masculine energy or feminine energy, but the but just the age and experience. Um, and what I said to them was that um, I have space in my head for an infinite number of Lanigans. Right. <laughs> I can. The, That's fucking. What a great sentence. I and I love to think about each one of them and and to think about um, him being alive in all these different ways. And the and I think the way in which that applies to your situation is that talking to your family, friends and family members and people who knew Lydia, that I think that um, you're probably still unearthing new Lydia's to grieve. Yeah, dude, she, you know, she lived in this city with me and had tons of friends, shared friends. And and now I'm kind of hermited away as a dad, but sometimes I'll go out to do shows and I'll run into old friends of hers and they'll just like share an antidote and they're still grieving. And I forget that there's a whole ripple that is a person's life and there's many people around them. But something about what you said about Lanigan made me think about my parents in a way and and, and also your friend who died and how generous his father was saying, you guys are scarred. Like it, when you're, there's all the grief. And then there is also the sort of comic realization of like, dude, we got finite amount of time on the planet. So you want to cry or do you want to go eat everything and travel and, and laugh it up? Cause we'll be real dead soon and you'll be back with that person. And that's where you try to tap into that and be like, yeah, what a joke that we're even here. Ride this thing for all it's worth. I think my parents in their own weird ways are doing that. Like my dad is a very Zen religious studies major. He kind of came away with that belief quicker than everyone. And it's like, I'm devastated, but I'm going to be a joyous person, period. And my mom was hurting so bad and wouldn't, is very private and shy, but she had numerous, she had a rough year and had a couple of surgeries and the fight that I saw in her surprised me because I really thought my mom would be like, great, add it to the pile. Take me the fuck out. I'll see Lydia on the other side. But the way she like was like, no, 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 no. And one of them was a freak thing that we thought was life or death. And she recovered and is fine. But the way that she fought to live impressed the hell out of me. And I just didn't. It wasn't that she. I didn't think she was strong enough. It was that I thought she was not invested in this life enough and mm -hmm. so to see that in this past year i was like well fuck she's happy to be here in her own way watching every nuggets game and loving her grandkids like she's into it and it was just surprising to me to see that and i was quite relieved you know it's uh, human beings our brains are just fucking garbage because the you know when we're when we're 22 and and bulletproof and everything works and everything's amazing that we're like fuck this you know i'm gonna go listen to joy division and not leave my room for four days and then <laughs> when you're like on a feeding tube at the end of your life you're like life is sweet i know? so bullshit and i spent 19 and 20 were my most depressed and i was like an hour from new york city what the fuck was i doing like just it soak it up idiot yeah yeah my nephew is 20 i think he's turning 21 today and he's just uh he's so mopey and the um and i you know i try try to be the guy who tells people that he loves them and so i tell him constantly that i love him but the part that i don't tell him 
that I think in my head is, and if I could switch bodies with you right now and put you <laughs> in this old uh, crumbling whorehouse and the me just be like the young Spider-Man, I would absolutely do that to you. Yeah, <laughs> like, I, would no- suck, I would suck your blood. I would no. swap Mishka's immediately. <laughs> no amount of love that I feel for you would <laughs> stand in the way of that. You're just chasing lightning storms with him, hoping to freaky Friday yourself. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Great Scott. <laughs> you just turn into a fucking weird Disney storm chaser with your nephew. <laughs> no, um, but you know what? If we weren't mopey 20 somethings, we'd be like who those are where are those are who become interesting people because there are others. What's the alternative? A fucking Lake Havasu spring breaker being like, woo! Like, I, I would rather be a mopey 20 year old than that. It's they're peaking too young. Whenever I meet somebody who enjoyed high school and like had a good time, I'm like, you're a serial killer. <laughs> the, you know, or you you like believe in eugenics or something, you know, they, there's some, something wrong with you, if, you know, if my, you enjoyed I, that. I, time. I am that guy, but my, I get a pass and my wife always gives me shit because I, my middle school, which was a private school, I went there from four through nine was such a, I mean, I have a joke. I call it a neo-fascist lacrosse factory. And I was bullied and ridiculed and shoved into lock. And then I got to a public high school, inner city public high school that didn't care about me. And that's all I wanted. And so high school was a dream come true. I could like, I could, I could blend in. No one would pay attention to me. I was, I could write for the newspaper. Like I fucking loved high school because it was a reprieve from this waspy prison I had been in. So I, I, I loved it for that reason. That's, that's really interesting. That's similar to the experience I had with the first college that I went to. And I went to, it was whatever, 500 kids. So everybody knew everybody and everybody's business and the, and everybody was fucking bisexual and nose ring and manic panic hair and sort of like, um, uh, Northeastern liberal, which now I love, I think all those things are great. Fucking I went to like Wesleyan, the, dude, you're, yeah. you're speaking my language. And then I went to like a huge state school in Colorado and it was all about like football and keg parties. And I was far more comfortable there because I was like, now I have something to fight against. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Fuck. Yeah. I, yeah, I hear that. Yeah. You went, I forgot you went here. That's great. That's, I knew Oh, that. yeah, dude. The, I remember just, I remember being 21. No, I was, I was still 20. I was living in Denver and I was like tr- struggling to finish my degree at CU. And I remember going, like driving my mom's little 1985 Nissan Sentra to Boulder one day for class. And the, I made it through class and then I was throwing up blood on the quad. Jesus Christ. And I was just like, am I doing this right? Like the, <laughs> what, you know? Yeah, that sounds like a swish to me, dude. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing but net. The You had a line in your book about hating Colorado. I remember reading it and I was like, huh, okay. All right. Oh, yeah. The, I, dude, I. Does that still hold? You still hate Colorado? I do. And unfairly <laughs> so. The, I, Colorado's beautiful. And it, the, um, fucking pogue and his beautiful girlfriend they're always posting pictures of like uh postcard uh colorado joyful swingerdom and the and i i I just look at it and i'm like oh the y'all are in love and the sun's shining and like you're fucking water skiing or you know the and it looks so amazing and then every time i step off the plane um into into denver i'm like 
Oh, remember when you you snorted that like rust colored meth and then you like made out with gay dudes all night just to get free drinks <laughs> and like the <laughs> remember when you fought that guy in the front lawn and there was like blood everywhere oh, <laughs> like just because i it's um i love denver i think it's a fucking amazing city and the i i understand so much why you guys love it and i broke it it just everywhere I go reminds me of the uh, shitting my pants or throwing up on myself or like, buddy, I understand completely. I understand. I went to my, yeah, I totally get it. That's, that's fine. And um, I mean, you're in Arizona, right? Yeah. 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 The, and Arizona is just objectively terrible, but, uh, but I don't have any memories here. So Got it's, it. it's, a, it's a relief. Got the, it. One of the things I want to, before it slips from my mind entirely, uh, one of the things that I want to like, deal with or think about is uh one of the things that felt so tragic uh to me about your book was that it feels like one genre was imposed on another in that it it's like you are leading a a comic life you know in that there's an ascension that you um the way you write about Ben Roy and the way you talk about your friendship and, and like those early days of um, like Butch Cassidy and the Sundance kid, you know, the, like meeting each other and the, um, and just to, to discover that friendship and the, Oh, comedy is a thing. Like you can just do that. You can just tell people you're a comedy. You can just, I can just make sounds with my mouth and people laugh and I feel amazing. <laughs> you know, yeah. the, the, um, that, I've done a lot of speed in my life and nothing compares to the, the rush you feel when you discover a new thing like that, you know, totally, totally. And, and so there is this, um, and I mean, I, I guess there wouldn't be any book without the, without the tragedy and without, um, but, it, but it, it, you are on this sort of, um, I think when I say comedy, comedy, I mean uh, the the hero's ascension or the narrator's ascension, um, and and it's it's sort of uh, you know uh, is it Dickensian? I don't know the the night of your greatest triumph. You know the uh, that things are going so well um, with with comedy with your personal life. The and then you lose Lydia, and it's like the the stamp of tragedy is, is imposed on an otherwise comedic comic life. The, but still you had to like get up and fucking write the emails and tell the jokes and do the thing and continue with your career, your calling who you are and to be able to hold that sadness, that rage and dick jokes and fart jokes and boob jokes and butt jokes in your head at all at the same time. You you want to talk about that a little bit or sure, sure. I mean, <laughs> yeah, that's it's an easy talk. Um <laughs> no, I just I think you know, there's two things. Lydia had been a huge comedy fan and cheerleader of me, and she was in the scene. She worked the door at our shows, she ran tech, she made flyers. She, I remember like back when you thought a one sheet mattered, Lydia sat with me and made a one sheet for me and the Grolix boys. And was like this, and it looked great. And we would send it out. 
Like she was into it. I would run jokes by her. So she was a fan, but also funny as fuck and like never had the courage to get on stage. That was one of the curses of Lydia is that she played such, she was such a good in, musician. People were asking her to join bands and she was always like, no, never couldn't, couldn't, but she was so good and she was so funny. So I'd run jokes by her and she'd like improve them. And I have one really funny joke that was like my signature bit that she made way better in a really cool way. But so there was that there was like, I didn't want to throw all that away because it felt wrapped up with Lydia. Like she had been rooting for this success so hard. And I remember I was flirting with the idea of having a comedy festival. And now it's year 10 of my comedy festival. And Lydia was so excited. She's like, just let me um, drive. Let me pick up comics and drive them so I could just like talk to them on the way. Out. That's how nerdy and innocent we were about comedy. And so much has happened since then. I like that, that I, I knew it would blow her mind the things that I was starting to do. And I, and I wanted to keep doing them kind of for us. Um, but I also felt it's like, you care about one thing your whole life and you want that one thing. And then you kind of start to get it. And the definition of success changes right in front of you. You're like, Oh, that didn't even matter. You thought that mattered. That wasn't even the point of all this. And so yeah. that was a hard blow. It's like, oh, you want to be a new face at Montreal and get representation and be a big comedian? You've got it. Guess what? Your sister's dead. So you're just like, oh, fuck. I didn't know that. I was playing a, di a different game. And now I got to play this game. And that game is too real and too sad. So I don't know that the saving grace was that, like, I did stop doing comedy. I Ben, ben and I just got tattooed with andrew for a grolix challenge i saw that <laughs> for our for our podcast up a dump uh, the grolix saves the world plug but <laughs> i was remembering my first tattoo i ever got was lydia's initials and it was a couple days afterwards and you know ben i called ben when i found lydia and i didn't even remember that he, he told me that a couple years ago but um so ben after a few days was like one of the first guys to come be like so what are you doing want to go do something and we went and got my sister's initials tattooed on me he took me to a shop he's like covered in ink he just, just we just skipped the line and went right in um but i remember talking to ben about like i'm just really worried that i've got this momentum and like now everyone's gonna think i'm fucked up and and in comedy works downtown they're just starting to let me headline and he's like buddy everyone cares about you everyone knows as much time as you need Wendy at comedy works is like, let him tell him anytime he wants on the stage, he's got it. And he doesn't, you know, no pressure at all. And so you just worry about these dumb things. And, and Ben's like, slow down. Those things matter not. And, and I didn't do comedy hardly at all. Like I didn't, but we sold a pilot to our TV show and I sold the pilot. I mean, I went there and like, we wrote the script, but I, I sold it to Amazon and that was such a weird blessing in disguise because I didn't know how I could get on stage and be and tell my dumb dick and fart jokes because it all felt dishonest. I just wanted to talk about Lydia and what I was going through. But I was also such a young comedian and I didn't have the skill set that I was like, I'm not going to take these half-baked morning thoughts about Lydia and try to make jokes out of them. That's disrespectful to her. It'd be a shitty performance. I'm not there yet. But I could I could do a group effort in the form of a dumb show about teachers. 
and it didn't have to be a reflection of what Adam Caton Holland was thinking at the moment. It was a, a shared trio making a show about teachers. So I was able to like lose myself in that. And, you know, we had Rory Scovel and Kyle Kinane. That That's the purest creative effort I've ever had in my life. The Amazon kind of like thinking we couldn't do it, gave us 50,000 bucks and they're like, film your pilot. And that was the most money we'd ever seen in our lives. And we filmed that pilot. It was the funniest, purest thing. Like, I went and down to the high school down the street and found the principal. I was like, can we shoot here? And he's like, can the film students be extras? We're like, yes. And he's like, then yes. And it was just, it was that pure. And and Denver showed up. People were giving us free food for catering. Hairstylists were coming to make us look halfway decent. It was a it was the best week ever. And I remember going in being like, I hope I can find this fun and funny. Cause if I can't, I'm so fucked. And Rory and Kyle flew out and it was just the funniest, purest week ever. And I was like, and it was sort of hiding behind something, but I was like, yeah, if I can do this, I can be, I'll be all right. So that helped a ton, not having to get on stage and talk about my intimate thoughts, but being able to lose myself in a group project with people that really cared about me. The, oh man, I have a million responses to this. The, <laughs> Yeah, I've, I rambled, but that's the answer. No, it's, I mean, it's, a, it's a, um, a great paragraph. The uh, You did EMDR for I, PTSD? Yeah. The, After so, a while, it took me about a year and a half to find that. So I, I'm always sort of like trying to think about different models of experiencing the world and the and, and, and like just survival strategies, like how do you get up and fucking put your socks on? You know, the, it becomes more and more convoluted <laughs> the older you get um, and, and the more shit you see. And the, and my model has always been um, the fastest way through hell is just to go right through the center of it. Right. Um, but I feel like the way EMDR works is um, seeing value in the power of distraction, right? That with the sounds moving on either side or the um, the light moving from side to side, enough of your brain's processing uh, power is taken up that then you can re-experience the traumatic shit uh, without it re-traumatizing you. Um, and the and i think there's a lot of great art that's been made by people who are trying to distract themselves from grief or loss or a sense of impending doom and that um the distraction can actually be a, a, an incredibly powerful uh, force for sort of healing and moving forward of the of, you know, particularly when it comes to um, obsessive thinking and intrusive thoughts and PTSD that your your brain is just sort of playing out the, the worst. Um, let me choose the worst 10 seconds of your life and just play that over in a fucking gif for all yeah. eternity. Yeah. Um, the, that then when there is, um, Oh, look, a squirrel, you know, that, that squirrel <laughs> is the best fucking thing you've ever seen, you know? Right. Yeah. Um, no, I hear what you're saying. Like the distraction of EMDR. So you can go through this hard thoughts. And, and I think that may have been sort of a, a parallel, a, a metaphorical thing going on in my, in my career, at the same time, but 
I remember thinking once I started returning to stand up that I'm not going to touch it, that I'm not going to talk about Lydia at all. And, and now 10 years later, the past couple of years, I've been doing a one man show about it only because I'm there. Like I, I feel, I feel evolved enough as an artist to do her justice. Also, I wrote the book, which in a weird way, I felt like there it is. I, I nailed it. That's a swish. And if I fuck this one up because I'm playing with form or I'm I'm trying to shoot beyond my skill set, I don't care because I did her justice in another place that's there for posterity's sake, which in a weird way matters to me. But I remember, you know, feeling shitty about before I got to this place of doing the one man show and but yet doing stand up again. I remember feeling shitty about not talking about it. Because someone describes stand-up as a as a search to sound like yourself on stage. And here I'm thinking about this thing and never talking about it. And I said that I might have been Ben. I don't know who it was, but they were like, buddy, if you don't think there's a huge difference between your stand-up before this and after this, you are it's been affecting you. It's it's darker, it's sadder, it's you're coming from a place of like real uh cynicism for the world it's changed and it's it's it courses through you and that you know we we get so caught up in our bullshit of like am i being true to myself as an art like but they were just like believe me it's whether you're talking taking it head on or not people can pick up on your energy through your comedy yeah yeah the context is there whether we whether we spell it out or not exactly um exactly and and i think too you know having that um having that gravitas makes makes the lighter shit hit harder you know the um this isn't a perfect example but the um lanigan's book of lyrics is called i am the wolf objectively a dog shit line (laughs) yeah (laughs) the that is a uh uh, fucking slam poet, uh, edge Lord, uh, <laughs> you know, in a Hyundai Elantra drinking a fucking monster energy drink The I'm, I'm sorry, Mark, that it's not good writing unless you're Mark fucking Lanigan. And then when you hear that line, you're like, Oh shit, you are the wolf. <laughs> and, <laughs> right. Yeah, it, man. It, yeah. It, it, yeah. It's, it's, it's a fulcrum where, you know, life experience, changes everything you know when he says i am the wolf it sounds like a switchblade opening you know um it's so sinister and and just like you said you have room for multiple lanigans it's like say you're doing a a show where you've got your sinister worldview your cynical worldview and i i'll do that and then i'll have like three jokes that are so goofy and absurd and laffy taffy and you can be all those things at one time, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I I mean, I, I think that is the, that's the trick of like being a human being, you know, of that is how to put your socks on is to, is that balancing act of being able to like hold all those things in your head at once. You know, the, um, I, it feels important to me to engage with the fans in the Lanigan fan groups because that's where I came from. That's who I am. I'm still a fan. I always was. And so I, I, I feel a, um, a responsibility to those people to sort of, um, you know, to talk about, you know, who he was. Um, and the, 
you know, it, it just, they want to know, they want one adjective or an epithet, you know, in, uh, in the Iliad, it's like, you know, wily Odysseus or, you know, brave Achilles or whatever, you know, there's always a word yeah. that describes them and that's who they are always, you know, the, um, zany Sam talent, you know, the, um, that's how our brains want to comprehend the world. And the, and Lanigan was a great artist because there's a million adjectives you can attach to him. Dude. I love that. I love that. And like, I feel like the same for my sister, not that she was an artist, but that she was hard to pin down. She was obsequious. And so it's just like, yeah, people, everyone will have a different adjective for Lydia. I'm fortunate enough to get goofy. I know how goofy she was. And like most people thought she was too. Ben Roy's like, she was so intimidating. <laughs> like I loved her, but she was intimidating. And I, so I love that, that uh, I think you're right. The, the real special ones, there's no adjective. Like you got a hundred adjectives for that person. Yeah. Yeah. The, that's funny. I find Ben Roy intimidating. The uh, he's such uh, a softy. He's so, so <laughs> he, you guys would just like fight each other until you made it out. I I gotta get him on the podcast eventually. The, well, he's a hack. He's boring, days. but other than that, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just gonna stalk him. The um, but the but Adam, that's who you are too. You know, and the um, that's one of the things that to me feels so fascinating about your work is that um you have a voice that you're able to sort of thread this needle of um you know i mean it's like the the subtext of the whole book is in memoriam you know that you're you're writing to remember your sister and it's sort of like literary cpr you know that we're we're just going to like no, just try and keep going, try and keep going, you know, the, and we know it's not going to work and we do it anyway because we're powerless to do anything else. Yeah. Um, and that you're, you're able to do that at such a high level and, um, and to be a, a capital W writer, to be a serious writer and to deal with grief and loss and, um, and mental illness and things that we can't put words on. Um, and then, um, also to invest so hard in giraffe jokes, you know, the <laughs> every comic is allowed. Every comic that becomes a dad is allowed one fatherhood album. This is it. And if I keep doing it, you can call me out. Be like, buddy, you're the kids say the darndest thing. Sky, stop it. But I've got I've got one and it's coming out and I'm proud of it. But I have to say you do the same thing, man. Like my highest compliment I read. I've been reading your stuff and you know what it makes me do. It makes me go right. And that's like really I, I've been working on a, a dumb essay piece and I love it. And it's really from just reading your shit. And I was like, oh, yeah, I want to write like this and sitting down and doing the thing. So that's the highest compliment I have. You make me want to write. Thanks. And I'm sorry. The <laughs> I know <laughs> it's, like the, it's not a compliment because now I'm like, it's absolutely I'm a high compliment. And also the um, the fucking agony that writing is like i would the um if i like you i don't want you to write i know, I know. <laughs> why are you it's self-harm dude why are you doing that to yourself you know it's stupid but i love it and it's like it's the satisfaction that comedy doesn't bring me that's a different type but yeah. i like sitting down and getting my thoughts clear it's the most clarity i achieve i think is is writing it out the i'm getting ready to teach my writing workshop um again this year so i'm sort of like um having going from thinking about 
writing songs and booking tours and fucking making stickers and shit like that to teaching writing again. And one of the things that I, I tell my students is, um, you know, language is the, is the tool that we use to understand the universe. Uh, writing about our lives is um, the tools that we use to understand um, our experience, what's happened to us and what it means. And the, and then songs are the tools that we use to have um, the things that are unexplained uh, explained to us. The, I like that. Um, that's, you know, that's sort of what I got out of Lanigan's music. Um, but the, I think that is why we keep coming back to writing is, you know, for all the suffering of, I, I, there's nothing I can think of that's scarier than um, like, uh, opening a new document on my computer that just says untitled and it's just <laughs> white. That That is just horror. Um, but uh, that is how we explain our lives to ourselves. That's how we sort it out. That's how we figure it out. That's how we fucking make our way forward. You know? Well, what I think it sounds so serious and life and death and it is, but I think what you do well and what I'm trying to do. And I think the book does is, making that funny too because that is what my book was and what lydia was was like intelligent hilarious sad twisted brilliant and like to just write a book that is like sad 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 is so not how my experience was with her or how she was and it's not to to open up and write about being stocked with humor is is such a gift and that's what we it's not just a clarity or a reckoning. It's also your humor coming through. Like, I, you know, I, I don't know if I said this in the book, but it's just kind of like, it's all very Russian. It's just like, oh, you're just now realizing life is shit. Like, that's kind of, <laughs> if you got to attack it from that place. Like, oh, you thought you deserved happiness? Like, yeah, it's not a guarantee, fucker. And just writing that way, I think, is is what living and seeing sad things does to you. And And that's the only way to sort of, survive it with humor i'm finding yeah and i am grateful for the sad shit too because i don't think you know it, if it was you know when i was a kid i remember being like why doesn't you know uh, why doesn't everybody just eat candy and watch cartoons all the time and now that nothing would make me homicidal faster and <laughs> like uh you know to sit down and watch two hours of fucking like saturday morning cartoons and eat a bag of uh you know, Sour Patch Kids or something yeah, like that. No, that'd be uh, a bad formula for sure. That would, that would just ruin my fucking day. But um, the, what, uh, well, real quick, I give you permission to make as many dad albums as you need to. Oh, I, well, thank you. That That's I, me self-policing. I appreciate that. But I, I always, um, I always found people who were like, everybody loves their pets. People who are in love with their pets. I always found it to be so tiresome and I am absolutely one of those people now. And I know <laughs> no way out of it. And it's so rewarding. And every time my dog farts, it's the cutest, funniest thing ever. And when it smells real bad, I'm prouder. <laughs> it's like, Oh yeah. Oh my God. That's, that was like a fart. Dad. Well, you, you, ought terrible. To, you ought to see your four-year-old take a shit in the downstairs bathroom and just yell, they need to put a fan in here. <laughs> And they're like, who's they, man? We moved into this house. There's no fan. You think I'm doing that? I don't know how to do that. <laughs> so funny. <laughs> um, 
what uh what are you working on now what's what does the new year have for you have uh have in store for you you know i i feel comfortable saying it now but i've spent covid writing a screenplay of my book and it's moving forward we're shooting we've got an actor attached we've got a director who's hot who's fucking great and and i i'm working on it with some famous friends of mine and i'm like fucking i'll tell you about it off mic but because it just i'm paranoid but dude it's i'm thrilled it's coming out great and and i think it might shoot this summer or fall holy shit yeah so i'm that's what i'm working on ben roy and i've got a animated show we're pitching and blah 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 just trying to bang shit out man i want to write another book that's what you and i've been emailing about and i've got a ton of ideas i just got to find like the one that I life or death need to write. Not like because I want to write, but that I need to write. I think you're a fool for trying to write another book. <laughs> you fucking animal. <laughs> it's like the, you know, I, I think of, uh, you know, John McCain, you know, that like, oh, I didn't, I didn't get enough out of the first time in the POW camp. The Let me go back. <laughs> well, the food, my God. <laughs> <laughs> spices as Vietnam, you know, it's where France met the Orient. It's just such a cuisine. Like he, he <laughs> there were some perks. <laughs> the, um, I got to ask you this because the, I interrogate everything that I do and I feel guilty about everything. Uh, do you have conflicted feelings about making a movie of the book that's about, this horrific thing that happened to you and your family. I got a million conflicted feelings. Cause I feel like I'll tell, I'll say all myself is just like, Oh, how are you just exploiting your sister's death again and again across multiple genres for a cash grab, you asshole. And then that's the mean voice in that I have inside. And then the other voice inside says, this is the biggest hurt that ever happened to you. It profoundly affected you. You don't think this is going to, really affect everything you do for the rest of your life. So I allow myself that I'm also like, I was a film major. I love movies. I love indie small movies that are personal and beautiful yet universal. And I think this is that. And the director I've, we've got doing it is like this indie King that I love. And the fact that he agreed to do it shows me this is a beautiful piece of art. And like, I never feel bad about saying, here's my little sister. She's amazing. Here's my family. They're amazing. This fucked up thing happened to us that happens to a ton of people. And if I'm reinterpreting it in another genre, well, I'm so sorry, but I think this is an important story. So, you know, the only conflict I feel is, is my family because they didn't ask to be, have their story told publicly. They didn't, they, they suffered just as much, if not more, but I also, you know, with the book, I gave it to all of them. And I was like, anything you want out is gone. You let me, I don't, I'm not here to pick fights. Mm-hmm. Um, and with this, everyone's into it. You know, they're, they're, my sister's a little weird about it, but then she'll be like, so who's the actor you got? You know, she's, she wants to know. And my dad couldn't be, pr- anything I put out, my dad's on the roof talking about how great it is. And my mom is very, is is asking me about it a lot and is interested. So you know, this one is the first one that I've allowed to fictionalize. The characters have different names, things that happened didn't happen because that makes for a better script, you know? And so it feels different. This one, it feels like I'm more owning it and turning it into like a different thing 
that's clearly based off my thing, but that might even be more universal somehow. One of the reasons I wanted to raise that question about the feeling guilt about it, that you're exploiting it or whatever was to, um, to drag that feeling out into the light. Um, and, uh, yeah, you own it, dude. It's, it's yours. You didn't ask for it to happen to you. Uh, it happened to you and you fucking went through all that shit. Um, don't for a second feel bad about turning that into art. Um, and also, you know, my, my stories, my, my books, like I've, I've written those out of pure selfishness. That was just for me, the, all my songs, all my stories, everything I've done. Sorry, folks. It was all for me. I just felt bad and I needed to feel better. And that was a way in which I comforted myself. And it's okay for me to have done it as selfishly as I did because dealing with grief and loss and depression and alcoholism, um, openly and honestly and selfishly and obsessing about your own thing that fucking helps so many other people what doesn't help people is being like you should do this you should do this the it i i honestly believe that there's the whole prescriptive world of self-help is they're fucking snake oil salesmen it's a bunch oh, of fucking dog sure. shit yeah what what you need is to just have somebody talk in in great detail about their own suffering and then let us eavesdrop and be like, Oh, maybe I can do that too. Or he did it. I can do that too. Or, Oh, I didn't think about trying that. I should try that. Dude. Any good art is selfish. Like it's a person talking about their experience and mining it. And it's only good art because it's so real. And we think we're such unique human beings but it, the reason it relates is because it's everyone can fucking relate to that. Yeah. So you can go down your own rabbit hole and navel gaze, but guess what? Everyone's doing that. And so if yeah. you do it well, they're like, oh, I feel that. I feel that. And then now suddenly there's you've made something that resonates and is powerful. And so that, yeah, I, I, I didn't, you know, I excuse myself as well, I guess, because it's just like to do it any other way would not be would be hollow you have to mine the thing as deep as you can and now you've explored it and it's real and it's going to come out good on the other side so yeah it's just going learning about yourself surprise you a lot of other people can relate to those feelings yeah the um one other thing that i i'll say too is that when i wrote um i swear i'll make it up to you i felt bad that i was dragging my family through all this shit again um and um, and I, I did, and I was, um, but since then they've all said how much, uh, healing and sort of closure they got from that. The, so while I was doing it, I was like, oh, I'm just being a fucking drama queen and like digging up old shit, you know, and like, I should just let this stuff go the, but, um, at the end of it, I was able to say, um, I was I was doing it for for selfish reasons, but I ended up doing a lot of work that then the rest of my family didn't have to do like that. I did some of that work for them. Um, so I would offer that up, too. I like that. I like that, too. No, my you know, my mom and dad said the same things about the book. They were like, there's some shit in here that helped us a lot. That's and great. So that, yeah, that's all you can really. That's that's a good uh, testament. And my mom, I gave it to her before I 
gave it to the editor and she read it in an afternoon and she said it felt like hanging out with Lydia. And that was like, that one did it for me. So that was the highest compliment I got. I was like, okay, then I've done a, done a good job here. Did you cry when she said that? Crying now saying it. <laughs> Dude, I, uh, my friend Galen, uh, who was murdered the 25 years after it happened. Um, I did a reading in Gloucester, Massachusetts, um, that his dad had me come out and read for. And then, um, the next morning we went, we got together and, uh, had breakfast at the diner and, and he hit, um, he hit me up for writing contacts and that made me feel so good <laughs> that it was like, uh, it was a human interaction, you know, that he was like, well, maybe yeah, you yeah. can introduce me to your editor. And I was like, oh God, thank God. This is like, this is not a movie thing. It's like a, the, you know, um, and then, uh, when we, we like, he like walked me back to my van and, uh, this is going to kill me. He looked yeah. at me and he put his hand on my shoulder and he said, Mishka, you're a good boy and you're going to be okay. <laughs> And I held it together until he like got into his fucking Subaru Outback and I just wept, just like put my head down on the fucking steering wheel and just cried and cried and cried. It felt, um, and you know, and sometimes we need our parents to do that for us to sort of like release us from the shit that we've been carrying, you know? And, uh, yeah. So fucking grateful to him for that. That I think, yeah, dude, that's Nice. That's a beautiful moment. I think, I think that's like one of those like dad superpowers too, that he could see that I was just wearing that on me. And then he was like, I'm just going to put my finger right on the button <laughs> <laughs> and watch the large man cry. <laughs> Convulse and shock. Oh, the Adam, this has been fucking awesome. Thanks so much for taking the time to do this. Do you have anything you want to plug? I mean, we're in podcast land. So I do a podcast called the Grolic saves the world with Ben Roy and our other buddy, Andrew Overdahl. And it's a lot of fun. We do self-help challenges to, to better the world around us by bettering ourselves is the catchphrase, but it's just three lifelong friends tearing each other apart through stupid challenges. Every episode. It's a lot of fun. I, uh, I know your book like inside and out, and I've never listened to the podcast the um that's it's good. pretty I, it's 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 a lot of goofs man i think I, I think we're doing a good job we it's only an hour we edit it it's not just th meandering comics laughing at their shit for three and a half hours it's yeah. pretty focused and and it's got a purpose so i'm proud of it it's it's growing and we're having a lot of fun awesome we'll uh we'll throw up a link to that <clears throat> and uh dude thanks so much for doing this i can't wait to uh Oh, I'm gonna. I'm totally gonna keep you on the call after a minute, or after we fucking hang up here, so that uh, I can pick your brain about the movie and sure. all the all the new shit you're uh, you're doing. But uh, I, dude, I got to come out and do a show with you in your neck of the woods, and 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 vice versa, man. I know you invited me to your show in Fort Collins, but babies and blah blah blah. Yeah, the please anytime you want to come out here. If you're doing something else, we'll uh, we'll set up a show on the the coffee table here for you. That the sounds fucking awesome. <laughs> and uh and i gotta make it out to denver soon because the that fort collins gig was fucking great but i didn't do any denver shows um yeah. when i was there so i gotta book a ticket we'll get you here but um dude thanks so much for doing this this was uh such a great fucking conversation yeah man thank you folks thank you so much for listening i know there's uh 
It's a million podcasts out there. We appreciate you uh, you spending your time with us. The um, if you're digging the show, if you're enjoying it, if you if these conversations uh, move you, make you laugh, annoy you, piss you off, um, please take a minute to uh, to rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcast. Uh, it helps us grow the show and it helps other people find it. Um, if you'd like to hear bonus episodes song demos just sort of uh, ranting off the cuff uh, conversations all sorts of different uh, bonus material writing advice uh, personal blog posts and stuff like that uh, go to patreon.com slash mishka shabali uh, we will be having monthly episodes up there with my mom and i answering uh, questions from readers and there's all kinds of good stuff there uh, thank you so much for supporting.